Now, I want to start off with a question. Have you ever had a time when you felt like you just needed a breath of fresh air? Like maybe for sometimes, for some of you, some of us have our hands raised, right? For some of us, it's just because uh, it's really hot inside of the room we're in and we just, need a, we just need a breath of fresh air. For some of us, it's the idea of there's just a lot of conflict or anxiety in the context that we are. and We just need to get out of a space for a little bit uh, in order to get a breath of fresh air. For some of us, it's just because, um, you know, there's just uh, so many things and maybe it's like, I don't know, maybe you have like a brand new dog and maybe it's just stinkier than you thought it would be. Like you just need, this is again, hypothetical, Um, but you know, just a breath of fresh air, right? Um, Well, I want to share a story um, of when I just felt like I needed a breath and just take deeply of a breath of fresh air. And and I've shared a story similar to this before, I'm sure. But um, when I went, uh, when I was younger, I would go boogie boarding um, up in the Bay Area um, over in Santa Cruz um, on the beaches over there. And I remember one time I was uh, in the water, and it's cold because it's further north than where we are down here in San Diego, and I'm on the boogie board, and there's just one, you know, you try to catch waves, and like, I don't know, I didn't know what I was doing then, um, and still don't, but the idea of, I remember I caught one, and there was one time when it just, it just, you know, came in at the wrong time and crashed at the wrong time, and so I remember just this moment of crashing into the waves, uh, crashing onto the ground, not knowing which way was up, feeling the water above me. Uh, then the boogie board kind of landed on top of me. So even when I tried to get up, there was that moment of, oh my gosh, is this up? Is this down? Is like, you know, what's going on? And eventually, you know, you figure it out. And then what do you do when you're in that moment? You just, okay, you take a big, deep breath of fresh air. And I bring it up because, you know, For many of us, we've been wrestling in the book of Habakkuk in our series called When God Does It. We've been wrestling with some tough, tough topics, questions and topics that how do we wrestle with things that maybe make us feel like, you know, we're in the water and things are churning and we don't know which way is up and the thought that we had a way out and we feel like we're not able to get there. That when you're in that moment, when I was in that moment of not being able to breathe, it was like probably 10 seconds, right? 15, maybe 30 But it feels like an eternity when you need a breath of fresh air. And so we've been talking about a few different topics over our Habakkuk series. And just as an encouragement, um, if you miss one of our sermons or miss one of our services, you can catch up on all of them on our Pomerado Christian Church podcast. Uh, But you can follow up there if you want to hear the audio. If you want to watch the services, um, they're always available on our uh, website, pomerado.com slash messages. So uh, you can always get caught up if you end up missing one because we know that 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 happens. But I want to share specifically about how this series in the book of Habakkuk, we've asked and wrestled with questions like, when God doesn't make sense, when God doesn't seem fair, when God doesn't stop evil, when God doesn't act now. So we've been entering into a series called When God Doesn't, and we've been wrestling with hard questions because in our faith, we might feel like we have an understanding of things, but then when God doesn't seem fair, it feels like that gets us to crash in our lives. And then when God doesn't make sense, we don't know which way is up. We don't know how to get out. When God doesn't stop evil, we wonder why are things happening the way that they're happening. When God doesn't act now, we feel like our world is turned upside down and our faith also is turned upside down and we can't breathe. And so today, our hope and our prayer is that by the end of this service, by the end of this book, the questions, the answers, excuse me, the problems won't be solved. But might it be true that we would be able to get a breath of fresh air to draw deeply of who God is 
and to be able to take hold of that. Because we've been talking about a lot of negative things or hard things when God doesn't. But today, we prepare our hearts to remind ourselves what happens when God doesn't forsake us. We've had a lot of trials and difficult questions, but today, what happens when God doesn't forsake us? And how can that question or that circumstance provide a breath of fresh air for our faith? Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much that you are here in this place, wherever this place is for us this morning, whether we're here in person, outdoors, whether people are watching online, wherever they are watching online, we thank you that you are ever present, that you are good, that you've never left us nor forsaken us. Not for a minute have we been forsaken. God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease and that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to be looking at Habakkuk 3 and Daniel 3. Our main verses are going to be Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18. And then if you want to have another bookmark or you want to look somewhere else, then there's also Daniel 3, 17 and 18. And so the 3, 17 and 18 is where we're going to land today um, with, our sermons, uh, uh, for, with our sermon. And so what I want to do is the word, the name Habakkuk, uh, I don't remember if we mentioned this or not, but the name Habakkuk means uh, wrestle or to embrace. And I'm talking about like, like Greco-Roman wrestling is, you know, you're, you're locked in and you're trying to wrestle, right? So it's like Greco-Roman idea of like, it's almost like an embrace when you're wrestling with someone. Uh, so it's Greco-Roman wrestling, not like WWE wrestling. It's, it's like actual like wrestling. But this idea of Habakkuk, it comes from this word wrestle or embrace. And Habakkuk wrestles with these heavy topics, but that wrestling, even when there's, we're locked in and we're not sure where God is, it still can be close like an embrace. And Habakkuk is one of the uh, prophets outside of Isaiah. It's the most um, quoted prophet in the New Testament. And so we ought to listen to the message because again, Habakkuk is a minor prophet, not minor in importance of the message, but minor in length of the book itself. And so I want to leave or start us with the verse we left with or ended with last week. Last week, we ended on Habakkuk 3.16 because we looked at how God was a deliverer, how he was a warrior for his people, how he was a victor. But that, that didn't change the fact that Babylon was still going to come in, that Babylon was still going to um, invade the nation, was still going to take people into exile because God was using a worse nation than Israel in order to judge Israel, in order to condemn Israel for their lack of following in the covenant relationship. God was using a nation worse in order to teach them justice. And that's part of where this wrestling comes from. But verse 16 says, I heard and my heart pounded. So he heard all the, he made a complaint, God responded. He made a complaint, God responded. And then Habakkuk 3 is, a prayer or a psalm of prayer from Habakkuk. So then, this is how 16 ends. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. And this is where we landed last week. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Not, they were already going to experience the day of calamity for Israel, for Jerusalem, for Judah. But they were saying they were, he was going to wait patiently and calmly for the day of calamity to come on Babylon, even though there was no evidence it was going to happen anytime soon. 
And in fact, we know that it didn't end up happening for decades later. So then here's where verse 17 comes. And again, 17 and 18 are this, provide this beautiful picture of faith that um, it's in a minor prophet, but it's a major message for us when it comes to what faith looks like. Habakkuk says in verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. And we're going to stop there because 18, like that 17 just builds all the tension and 18 is the one that provides the solution. But who wants to have all that tension resolved in the first few minutes of a movie, right? We got we to gotta build this tension for a bit because though there is nothing around Habakkuk. They're an agrarian society, right? So there's nothing around Habakkuk that shows how God is providing for them financially or just his own provision. That the fig tree doesn't bud, the olive crop is failing, there are no grapes on the vine, that there is nothing that is showing how God is providing for them. And Habakkuk looks around and he knows that Israel has broken covenant with God. He's, they've broken their special relationship with him. He knows that they deserve justice and judgment. And he looks around and he, he still can't understand fully. It doesn't fully make sense to him why God is using Babylon, but yet he's able to trust and to wait for the day of calamity to come against Babylon. But in the meantime, he looks around. He says, God, there is nothing here that shows me tangibly that you were providing. It's us looking and seeing, you know, God, there's not enough money in my accounts. I'm not making enough in order to make ends meet. God, our, our, our kids are still struggling and they're not re receiving hope in life. They're still going through difficult times. God, our marriage is still broken. God, my friendships have dissolved. God, I'm lonely. God, I'm broken. God, I'm addicted. God, I'm struggling. There's nothing around me, God, that shows me that you are there. And he lists all these different dynamics of an agrarian society because, again, they would only rely on the rain, the provision of God in order for their sustenance and for their provision. So when there's no fig tree that's budding, there's no olive crop, there's no uh, grape on the vine, there's no sheep in the pen, there's no food there. So he's saying, though all these things are happening, what's going to happen next? Because faith, as we know from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what? Of what we do not see. That Habakkuk is looking around and he doesn't see God's provision. He doesn't see the way out. He's going to have to wait calmly and patiently for that to happen. He doesn't see that take place. And Hebrews eleven six 6 then talks about how without faith, without that kind of faith that is sure what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, without that kind of faith, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, it's impossible to please God. So we need to wrestle with this. How do we create or develop the kind of faith that allows us to look around and see nothing around us that proves God's provision or presence, but yet still to hold on to peace in his presence? How do we do that? And so we're going to jump over uh, to Deuter Deuteronomy, excuse me, Daniel 3, 17 and 18, like I mentioned earlier. Now, in order to, to go here and connect about this, I want to give credit to where credit due. Craig Groeschel is the pastor of Life Church uh, in Oklahoma. Um, he had a message I heard years ago, and he kind of unpacks um, what he calls different levels of faith. I'm not, I don't necessarily know if I, if I love the, the idea of levels, because it, you know, it seems like it can 
I don't know. I don't know. But the idea of different understandings of faith or different um, concepts of faith. And he uses Habakkuk, or excuse me, Daniel 3, 17 through 18 to unpack these different ideas. Now, I want to give a context of what's happening in the book of Daniel. This is now Habakkuk happens before the Babylonian exile. And now Daniel is a book where we see a lot of what happens, a lot of the narrative of what happens during the Babylonian exile. So Daniel, who the book is named after, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the four of them are some of the exiles that we heard about that would be taken out of Judah, out of Jerusalem, and brought into Babylon. And so they're, they're some of the ones that are there. And in chapter one of Daniel, we see that they do not um, eat of the choice food. They stand firm and say, let us be able to eat the food that, that we need to eat and honor God in that way. And they're stronger and they look better than the other people. And so they're able to do that. And then in Daniel three, we see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not bow down to this huge idol of gold, this image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, he had um, erected. He had it set up and that whenever music would play, everybody was supposed to bow down to this idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they know that we're not supposed to bow down to idols, that we shall have no other gods besides me. As Deuteronomy 5 slash Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, it talks about those things. And so they don't bow down and then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, is furious. In fact, verse 13 in Daniel 3 talks about furious with rage. He brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. And he questions them. He says, is it true that you won't bow down when the music's played? And he's like, then this is what um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond. And this is where we're going to kind of land on these different ideas of faith. Verse 16, we'll start there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. And then verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Craig Rochelle talks about how the first understanding of faith is when you proclaim, I believe God can do something. We see this here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, we, uh, the God we serve is able to deliver us. He, he, he has the ability. He can save us from it. For many of us, this is kind of our first understanding of faith because when we finally, like when we get to that point, when we understand how big God is, that he's so big and so powerful that through the power of his words, creation happened. That universes were formed and life was created. When we realize that he's big enough to hold the whole, earth, uh, excuse me, whole universe in the palm of his hand, and yet he wants to be intimately close enough with us in order to extend that hand in relationship with us. That when we understand that he is able to heal, he is able to restore, he is able to provide, he is able to show up, he is able to stop evil, he is able to rescue. When we recognize that, then we say, God, I believe you can do amazing things. In fact, for many of us, that's, that's one of the things that we love about the Bible is that we can look and we can see what God can do because he can restore and heal and provide and rescue and so that's kind of one of our, what can be one of our first ideas of faith is that we believe God can, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, the God we serve is able to do it. We talked about that last week, that God is able to be a deliverer, 
to be a warrior for his people, to be a victor. And so he can do it. He's able to act, and we want him to act now. But then the next part we see is verse 17 continues on. He says, not only does it say that God we serve is able to deliver us from it, then he says, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. The first, the first verse or the first idea says, I believe God can rescue. That's the first understanding. The second understanding of faith is that I believe God will. Like God is going to do this. That if I'm Peter and I'm stepping out of the boat, I might think, oh, I know Jesus can walk on water, but I believe he will call me or help me to walk on water if he calls me. And that's the step of when you put your foot out and then he experiences solid ground rather than crashing waves. It's the kind of faith that says that Noah allows Noah to start working in the middle of a desert building an ark when there's no sign of rain clouds. It's the kind of faith that allows Abraham to, to just say, to, to hear God's voice and say, go into the land until I tell you. You ever been on a road trip and not know where you're going? That's a little crazy, right? It's this idea of saying, listen, it's being able to have faith that God will show Abram the land. God will provide the flood to honor what Noah is doing. God will answer the call because faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what? What we do not see. And so we believe that God can. And the second idea is we believe God will. But I need to caution us here because this is where we struggle because when we say, God, I know you can, and I believe you will provide healing right now. I believe you will provide restoration and you will provide money or, or sustenance or provision. I believe you will. What do we do when God doesn't? For many of us, if we feel like we're on a road ship and we're driving in our relationship with God and, and he's you know driving and you know Jesus take the wheel and all of a sudden though, when we believe God will do something and he doesn't, that's when many of us will wrench the wheel away from him and take the off-ramp to, to stop going forward in our walk with God. We'll take charge of our own lives and we'll say we don't need God anymore. You know why? Because I believed he would do something and he didn't. So we take the off-ramp away from faith we turn to old habits, old hangups, old hurts. We turn to old addictions, old struggles, old anxieties. We turn to fear. We, we try to make ourselves feel better about ourselves for the approval of other people or possessions that we own or whatever it may be. And we take the wheel of our own lives and we leave the road with God behind us because we believed he would and he didn't. But that's not the final idea of faith that we see in this passage because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe God can. Then he says, I believe he will. But then verse 18, again, is this beautiful picture of faith, just like it is in Habakkuk 3.18. Daniel 3.18 is this beautiful picture of faith that says, but even if God doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Even it says, I believe God can, I believe God will, but even if God doesn't, I still believe. 
in a series called When God Doesn't. If we can reach an exclamation point or a culmination point of this idea, it's to say that when God doesn't, can we still say with our heart of hearts and the depths of our souls that we still believe? Because God's goodness is not contingent upon how good our life is right now. God's goodness is not contingent upon our circumstances. It's contingent upon his character, which never changes. God is good not because he treats us well. He's good because he allows us to say it as well with our souls. Even if he doesn't respond, we can still proclaim we still believe. And we see this again in verse We're going to jump back to Habakkuk now. That Habakkuk 3.17 is when he lists out all these different things that are not good. But there's a comma there. There's a comma after the list of the struggles. Why? Because the list of our struggles is not the end of our faith. There's a comma because it says, though all this stuff is bad. Here's where Habakkuk proclaims his faith. Verse 18, yet... All that being said, all that being true, all of our struggles still being existent, all of our pain still being there, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Yet I will rejoice. I will take joy in God, my Savior. Warren Wearsby puts it this way, that Habakkuk couldn't rejoice in his circumstances, but he could rejoice in his God. And so we look around us and at the end of Habakkuk 3, the problems aren't solved. But God has answered our questions. The the trials were still going to happen. But God's presence would still be with them. That not for a minute are God's people forsaken. So when God doesn't forsake us, when he meets us in our struggle, in our pain, we know that he is with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. We are not alone. That Pastor Dan mentioned a few weeks ago that sound theology doesn't mean that we can't ask emotional questions from the heart. In fact, Habakkuk and the Psalms are beautiful pictures and portrayals of what faith can, how faith can be strengthened through hard questions. That when we run with our questions to God, our faith is strengthened. When we run with our questions from God, then we end up being lost and hurting. And we think we're being independent and self-sufficient. When in reality, we're in more pain than we can imagine because we're afraid to admit it. Because we're struggling and we need to hold on to something and specifically hold on to someone that people we know, people who are listening now and watching now have gone through incredible, incredibly painful trials. And for people who have that strong faith in the Lord, you hear them echo a similar sentiment that says something along the lines of, I can't imagine going through what I'm going through without Jesus, without the hope that we have in Christ. I can't imagine experiencing this as someone who doesn't know God. That's the kind of faith that says, not just that we believe God can, not just that we believe God will, but even if he doesn't, we still believe. Because we know that we've not been forsaken. Now, what do we do? Because how do we get to the point? How do we get to the point in which we can have joy in the midst of difficulty? 
Right, because Paul in Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we love that verse, and it's a beautiful verse. The problem with that verse is that we proclaim that to say, like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength without looking at the context that says, how do we get to that point of strength? We get to that point of strength because, well, in verse 13, he has strength. In verses 10 through 12, he talks about how he can face whether being content in circumstances, whether good or bad. Because in verses 8 and 9, he talks about how he focuses on whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is admirable, that he focuses on those things. Because in verse 7 and 6 and 7, he talks about how he presents his anxieties to God and he receives peace. Why? Because in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. That strength in the Lord is not something that happens on its own. It comes from joy in the Lord. And that joy when we lift up our anxieties, present our requests to God, when we fill, fix our eyes on the things of the Lord, we think about such things, when we know what it's like to be content, then we receive the strength. Then we're able to proclaim that we can do all things. And we see this pattern laid out in Habakkuk 3 as well. So how do we get to that point? G. Campbell Morgan says it this way, our joy is in proportion to our trust and our trust is in proportion to our knowledge of God. So let me give um, a crude analogy. Every analogy, as you all know, falls apart at some point. So uh, I'm going to start off sharing a, a, a little analogy about what it's like for us as we're trying to uh, train our dog, Ember, who we just got a couple weeks ago. And uh, so to be clear, I'm not saying that like God is a trainer and that we're all dogs, but I am saying there might be something we can learn from this. So what we're currently doing is trying to teach Ember how to, how to be able to eat without, you know, just attacking us or, or you know, getting so, so excited that he, he's unable to eat. So how do we feed him? And we're trying to train him how to be fed. And so what we do the first thing we have him is we have him sit because he's just so excited. He hears the bowl, he hears the bag, you know, and, and being poured in with the kibble, whatever. And he's, he's just excited. So we say sit. And so then he eventually sits. And then we taught him how to do watch me. Watch me is when you grab um, a treat or you grab something and you say, you put it to his nose and you say, watch me. And then you put it right by his eye or excuse me, by your eye. And then when his eye like fixes on you and not the treat, then you reward him because you're trying to get his attention, Right. Then after you say, sit, watch me, then you say, wait. And this is the one where he struggles because he's like, yeah, I watched you, but like, where's my food now? So we say, wait, and that's when you put the bowl over here. And then we say, free, take it. Then we say, free, like you're free now to go take it, right? So I bring all that up because... When it comes to feeding our relationship, so we understand a knowledge of God that's not just an intellectual knowledge, but it's a knowledge like we talked about last week from Habakkuk 3.2. That's, that's this idea of being known and that word known meant like in our innermost parts, in our, in our gut. We just, we just know something and it's deeper than our head knowledge. It's a tangible, um, it, it's just a, a stronger knowledge than our head knowledge. It's, it's what we feel in our, and we know in our gut. And so how do we move from here to here in our knowledge of God? Well, first off, many of us, we're so busy. We're, we have so much going on. There's a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. It's hard for us to do this. But the first step is for us to sit with the Lord, to be able to be still with him, to carve time aside to 
not just be so excited about what's going on or anxious or frantic or whatever it is, but to be able to sit with him. And then Habakkuk, this is what he does in the beginning of, of chapter one. When he's sitting with the Lord, he says, God, I'm seeing all this stuff. He opens up about his emotional questions, and he knows that sound theology includes emotional questions. So he says, God, I don't get this because your people are doing all these horrible things. What do we do? How do we navigate this? This doesn't make sense. And so God tells us to sit. And then what do he say? He says, watch me. Habakkuk 1.5 says, look to the nations and watch. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Out of context, oh my gosh, God is going to do something so incredible that the nations won't believe it. In context, it's God is going to do something so shocking, we won't believe it. He's going to use a worse nation to judge his own nation. He says, sit. He says, watch me. Watch what I'm going to do. And for our context, it's watch and see what he's already done, how he's already moved, how he's already revealed himself to be warrior, deliverer, victor. Watch and see how he rescued, knowing he'll do the same for you. But then like Ember, our dog, the next one's the one that we have the hardest time with. It's sit. Okay, God, we can sit with you. Watch me. Okay, I see what you've done. I see what you're doing. I know I can hear your voice in this. But then we say, wait. The waiting's the hardest part. Because when will we be free to be able to partake and taste and see the Lord is good? When, how long is the waiting have to happen? And so once we get to wait, Habakkuk doesn't get the answer right away. He knows he can rejoice in God, but his problems aren't solved. Your problems will not be solved by the end of this sermon. But we know that we can turn to God no matter what problem it is that you're facing. That we can rejoice not in our circumstances, but in our God. And so we wait. And here's the beautiful thing is that we taste and see the Lord is good, not just after the waiting. It's through the waiting and the sitting and the watching on repeat in which we draw closer to the Lord. When we run to him with our questions and our struggles, we draw closer to him. And then we taste and see that the Lord is good. We're feeding our relationship with him and our depths of our relationship with him. And then we're free. Not free from trouble, but free from worry. Not free from difficulty, but free from anxiety. That in Daniel 3, that passage after the um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get put into the fire because they would not bow down, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he makes the fire seven times hotter than it was before. And even the guards who throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, they, get, they, they die right away because of how hot the furnace was. And so then all of a sudden, after a few moments, Nebuchadnezzar looks and talks to one of his people and says, I see another in the fire. So yeah, it looks like a son of God. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come back out of the fire... Their hair isn't singed. Their clothes don't smell like smoke. Do you know the only difference that happened in their lives because of that? Or the only, the only thing that the fire did for them? My, my, pastor, my previous pastor, Jeff Vines, talked about how the things that bound them, the ropes that bound them were removed. The fire 
burned away that which bound them. They were, in the most real sense, free. See, what does it look like for us? What would it, if I could tell you, you could be free, not of your troubles, but of your worries. Not, of your, not fully of your fears, but free to hold on to faith. What would it look like for us not just to look around and say, God, there's no evidence that you are here with me. But then to say what verse 18 says when he says that, yet I will rejoice in God. And then what's verse 19 say? The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And then there's a musical note for the director of music on stringed instruments. But he says, what we talked about earlier, that strength is the result of joy placed in God and faith in relationship with him. When things don't make sense, when things don't seem fair, when God doesn't seem to be acting the way we want him to or when we want him to, when we take joy in who he is, when we realize he's never forsaken us and so we can still have that relationship with him, then we say, the Lord is my strength. And then we don't just go through our days, you know, we don't just hide once we have God as our strength. What does he do? He talks about how he makes his feet like the feet of a deer, sure-footed, and he enables him to tread on the heights. That now we face whatever trial, whatever uphill climb we have in our lives, and we don't face it with timidity, for God gave us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline, not of timidity, that we're able to walk into whatever circumstance knowing that he makes us sure-footed, as a deer, able to face whatever uphill climb we have, that we receive the strength once we've gone through the relationship, when we have our emotional questions, that stems from our joy, that stems from the fact that we know that we can say, yeah, I believe God can, and I believe he will, but even when God doesn't, I still believe and so as you're leaving or as we close this morning, there's something that we're all wrestling with. And I don't know all of your circumstances. I don't know what that prayer is that you're believing God for or that you're believing he will do or whatever that may be. But what I want to encourage and challenge all of us, us, not just you, us, this week is to sit before him to share, to cry out, to ask emotional questions, to go through all this, to sit before God, to watch him, what he's done and what he's doing, to wait for what he's going to do, but in the waiting to draw close to him so that we can be free of our anxieties, free of our fear. As J. Ronald Blue says, to sum up the book of Habakkuk, he says it this way, Habakkuk's book begins with an interrogation of God, but ends as an intercession to God. Worry is transformed into worship. Fear turns to faith. Terror becomes trust. Hangups are resolved with hope. Anguish melts into adoration. What begins with a question mark ends in an exclamation point. Habakkuk's faith was strengthened because he brought God these hard questions. Because he brought the question mark, he's able to conclude circumstances haven't changed, but he's able to change and have an exclamation point to his faith. Wherever, whatever question mark you have with God today, sit, watch him, wait so you may be free 
free to have faith and joy and strength in our sovereign good God. Free to be, let go of that which has bound you in the past. Free to face whatever uphill climb you may be experiencing with the sure-footedness that he alone can provide. And free to proclaim that even when God doesn't do what we want him to do, we still believe. Father, we thank you so much that, for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that your goodness is not contingent upon what's going on in our lives. Your goodness is contingent on your character, which never changes. You are the beginning and the end. You spoke creation into existence. You breathed life into us. And you know the hairs on our heads. You know the worries of our hearts. You know the questions that we have. But God, may we not run from our questions. May we not take the off-ramp of faith away from you, but may we run to you with our questions so that like Habakkuk, though our circumstances aren't changing, our perspective would change and our faith would change and be deepened because what started off as a question mark becomes an exclamation point of our faith in you. So Jesus, please work in us. Holy Spirit, work on us. God, use us and draw us close to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.